Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Buckeye Dads Discuss. I'm Josh. And I'm Andy. And Andy, it's been a while. How you been, man? Living the dream, man. It's It has been a while. It's nice to be uh, back in the saddle. So a couple things have happened since you and I have last potted. Uh, I have joined you in the 33-year-old club that happened uh, last week. So welcome to the club, I guess, to me. We are old men. Welcome to the club. Uh, repping the Larry Bird jersey number year this year, so 33. I believe uh, they also call this one the Jesus year. Yeah, <laughs> yes, also that. <laughs> um, if you ask somebody in Boston which is more important, you might, you know, you, you'll never know what answer you're gonna get. So, oh, that's that's a really good one. <laughs> I um, like that. My uh, youngest uh, is two years old today, so congratulations to him um my older two were more like terrible three kids it was really that third year but uh jackson is getting ready for terrible twos he's already in them high high achiever (laughs) yes he's uh doing everything faster he's got two brothers to model himself after and apparently that also involves uh being nasty with his mother and and loving the word no so yeah, on that, you said congratulations to him, and congratulations to him, but I think for the first two years, uh, you got to take a little bit of that credit yourself. <laughs> That's true. Yes, he we did manage to keep him alive out of the, out of the hospital. He's a functioning two-year-old, uh, so yeah, I will, I will take a bow right now. Yeah, I think somewhere around like three or four, you can start crediting the kids a little bit. When you're still changing diapers, I mean, you, you guys deserve some of that credit. Yeah, and uh, luckily he's been uh, he's been a very good baby so far. Like once we got to the about six months range or so, and he could uh, flip over onto his stomach, he started sleeping on his stomach. He slept through the night all the time. We're actually moving him into uh, he's moving into his brother's room tonight. Uh, his older brothers are out at the lake uh, with the grandparents, and he's moving to the bottom bunk uh, because my oldest son. Uh, who is now seven and a half still just as we did everything wrong as far as sleep training for him and he still like wants somebody you know we're hoping that putting somebody else in his bedroom will keep him in his bedroom the whole night do a better job sleeping so we'll see how that goes so what you're saying is it's the first night in the new room so we're going to keep things short tonight because you're going to be having to go (laughs) here in a minute knock on wood every (laughs) transition so far has been smooth uh, and and I want to say one thing to all the uh, you know future parents to be out there that walking your baby to sleep at night is a trap. So our our with our oldest, you know, it's our first kid, and you know, the baby's crying. You just want him to go to sleep, and and my oldest would I would walk him, and he would fall asleep, no problem. Uh, and and then he came to rely on it, and then he didn't want to stay in his bed, and then he fell asleep on the couch, and we didn't send him to bed. Basically, I mean, every sleep mistake you could ever possibly make, and it's still affecting us seven years later. So uh, not always necessarily the best idea to take the easy way out. That's my piece of advice to prospective parents. I say rock them as long as you can, because soon <laughs> enough, they're not going to want you to rock them at all. It's really wonderful when they're so small that you can hold them like you hold the football. Like they really just fit in the crook of your arm. Oh, I miss those days. Yeah, it's 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 been a while since I've had somebody small enough that I could fit them like a football. Yeah. 
also, since I've been gone, uh, we Stoll family uh, celebrated a, a long delayed vacation. We had originally booked uh, a flight out to the uh, Tampa Clearwater area last spring break time. So it's been more than a year now. We obviously we pushed it back because of the pandemic. Pushed it back as long as we could, as long as we could. We were running up against our youngest turning two and having to pay for his ticket. The situation has gotten somewhat better. It's still, you know, put me on edge a little bit. But uh, we flew down to Florida and stayed at an Airbnb for a week and just kind of hung out. Didn't really do a whole lot of excursions, but swam in the pool a lot. Both of my, uh, the older two loved it. Uh, the youngest is still kind of a little, little scared of the pool, but he loved to sit and watch us and, and blow bubbles. So we had a really relaxing vacation, really recharged the batteries. And uh, yeah, Florida, I miss you. Goodbye. I, I think I got relaxed just looking at you guys' pictures. It looked like a great time. It was literally just wake up, eat, you know, what, you know, let the oldest play on a switch and put some TV on and then. Once we got, you know, once we got settled enough, go out in the pool, eat, nap, you know, just hang out. Just seven days in a row was wonderful. So let's rapid fire real quick. And so you brought up the switch. So I have joined like the ranks of modern gaming now and we got a switch. And the switch is amazing, dude. Dude, I it was way better than I expected. So I've won an Xbox one forever and I waited and waited and waited and then i got to the point where i was like "Eh, i'm too old for this and then i decided but by the time i decided to get one it's impossible to find them now so Mm -hmm. never got my hands on the xbox the kids talked me into the switch and i am like i have that thing in my hands like six hours a day probably like the kids are like dude are you done with it i'm like no i'm not done with this (laughs) i love it i think it's awesome i had i did not expect to enjoy it nearly as much as i did i kind of grudgingly bought it yeah, the Switch is sweet. Yeah, I mean, it's the fact that you can, like, you have the best of both worlds, right? It's extremely portable. Yep. Uh, so, you know, you can bring it wherever, um, and it's really convenient in that regards. But also, you have the adapter. You can set it up to the TV. You can play multiplayer games. My oldest, uh, you know, kind of got him hooked. It wasn't his first game, but Super Smash Brothers uh, we got, and, and we played a lot together. You know, he's got all the Mario, you know, Mario Kart and... Uh, he's moved on to a lot of different games. I just got uh, Tetris for the Switch. Uh, you know, throwback, a little old school, just to kind of decompress when I want to shut my brain down. And he started playing that too. Uh, April even got in uh, with some Lego Harry Potter action. Uh, so the Switch is a great, it's a great system. I too, I think I still have it somewhere. I have an Xbox One, like literally one of the first Xbox Ones that ever came out. Um, and then I ended up selling it to my brother-in-law because, you know, I, uh, don't have time for, uh, you know, uh, the system very much anymore. And then I ended up getting it back, uh, for a Christmas gift a year ago. And I've like barely touched it just because I don't really have time for that. I have a few other hobbies that rank ahead of it. Um, but the switch man, again, you can just jump on for 15 minutes, uh, do your thing, jump off. Uh, it's very shareable. Uh, so a plus system, I would say. Yeah, I didn't really. They had, uh, they took the Civilization. I don't know if you ever played those. They're yep. on six now. So, mm-hmm. well, they ported that 
to the switch. And that is something that I'll pick up, you know, 15. I mean, it's, it's a long game, but to pick it up and play 15, 20 minutes at a time. Perfect. So I've, I've been deep in, I started in Australia in like a, a real world map and I'm pretty close to taking over the world here. So I got nukes and I'm not afraid to use them. <laughs> Watch out world. I'm legit like excited. I just unlocked that tech, like, I don't know, probably 10 minutes ago. So somebody's getting it later tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh man okay um all right so speaking of uh travel uh andy do you like to fly is my question to you so i'm like a huge aviation buff so just the the general idea of flying is super exciting flying is like transportation is eh, but i think i get is i get excited enough at just like the technical aspects of flying and i mean i, I just love the the science behind it that yeah, it's all right. I also haven't done it with the kids yet. So I don't know <laughs> if I'm particularly qualified to answer that question. So me, you know, throwing everything I own rolled up in a backpack and getting on a plane, not a big deal. Traveling with a family. I haven't done it yet. So I, I don't know. So there you are 100% right in that they are two very different things. Yeah. Um, I love flying. Uh, I just think it's, you know, obviously it's super uh, quick and convenient as opposed to doing you know, the drive, uh, there was one time when we were kids, our parents drove us down to Boca Raton, Florida, and it was basically like, you know, two full days in the car with restaurant stops and gas stops and bathroom stops and all that. And I just can't do that. Uh, my youngest son is not a, not a car baby. Uh, and so, you know, after the, you know, after we get into an hour of crying, you know, I literally just want to, you know, jump out of the car and, you know, whatever happens, happens. Uh, the kids knock on wood have flown quite a bit and they are very good. You know, it just all amounts to how much prep work you do. You get the iPad set up with some downloaded shows. You get the switch rock in, you have plenty of snacks uh, and, and it's been okay, but flying when it's just me or flying when it's just April and I, I love it. And I really love uh, it really started for me, actually our senior year at Ohio state. Um, I applied and interviewed at, I don't know, maybe like five different grad schools in the sciences. You know, you got a weekend, they flew you out, they sprung for all that. Um, almost to the point of absurdity, right? Like I, you know, we're in Columbus. Uh, one of my first interviews, the first interview I fly out of is going to Ann Arbor. That's a three and a half hour uh, drive but you know with the way they want to do the flights i fly from columbus to chicago back to detroit to go to ann arbor um and it just gets more ridiculous from there i go to Pitt, and on the way back from Pitt was that super bowl that it snowed like two feet and so my direct flight from Pitt to columbus got re rerouted from pittsburgh to cleveland to columbus which was, I looked it up earlier, is a 26-minute flight. It's basically you get up in the air, and as soon as you get to your maximum height, you, you start coming right back down. And, and yeah, just from there, I'm, I just always loved I loved O'Hare. I love seeing all the different people from all over the world. And, uh, yeah, so I've always had kind of a thing for flying. The thing I remember about your grad school visits is they were early morning flights, a lot of them, because I was the guy dropping you at the airport. <laughs> that's true and and uh i did straight just miss one so i was it was my interview at unc which was my second school like the runner-up uh, where i was going 
and I just straight up looked at my ticket information wrong. I was supposed to go from Columbus to Washington, D.C., and then down to Charlotte. And I completely just missed the first leg of my flight. And all, all I did is they just rerouted me to a different flight. I ended up getting there like an hour later than my original arrival time. Uh, all on the dime of the University of North Carolina. So thank you, Chapel Hill. Um, but yeah, um, Columbus Airport, small. Definitely not as small as the Toledo Airport. We flew out of Toledo this time. Your boy Gene Krantz has the airport Gene. named after him. And uh, yeah, it was actually a pretty good experience. That's awesome. All right, rapid oh, fire I'm for I'm you. Back. All right, you go ahead first. Oh, I, I wanted to talk about Switch. So I'm, I'm good. <laughs> All right, rapid fire for you. If you're okay. flying aisle or window, window. Oh, 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 aisle. Aisle's the correct answer. You no. get the you get the man spread. You get to put your feet out into the into the aisle a little bit. Um, I'm okay. six inches shorter than you are, <laughs> and I'm not seven years old, so I can hold my pee. <laughs> All right, fair, fair. Um. My second biggest pet peeve about flying is you land. This is not novel, but you land. And then half of the people on the plane think that, like, the first person who stands up gets to get out of the plane first. Like, you go in order by the rows, people. Just wait your turn. Not, you know, your connecting flight's probably not that, you know, close together. You'll be fine. Just hang out. But yep. we're going we're gonna to rant a little bit on this podcast, Andy. My... Yep. My biggest rant, if you lean your seat back on an airplane, you are a terrorist. I hope they divert the plane, make us land, and you get kicked off the plane and arrested. Do not lean your seat back on an airplane. Someone play the other side of this. Then why did they let the seats lean back in the first place? If leaning the seats is so wrong, just lock them in place. Yes, they should lock them in place. It's a giant oversight uh, by whoever de- whoever decided to design airplanes, do not lean your seat back. You are a horrible person. So there you go. To, to fix the U.S. travel industry, just lock the seats in place. It probably make the seats cheaper. You don't have to put that little lean back mechanism in it. So there you go. So that's I, I love flying uh, next year. I think will be uh, April and I mini vacation long weekend year, and I think the goal is to get out to. Washington DC as uh, April was deprived of that trip uh, back in junior high and she's never been and I would like to go again so oh that's a fun spot yeah do some Smithsonian's see some of the monuments just hang out shop walk around uh, so I've done DC as a kid and as an adult and it was a great time both times take the monument tour where they drive your own on the little bus so you don't got to drive do yourself but they just drive you they let you get off and see everything if you do it like the twilight tour it's even better yeah I think I did I mean this was many 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 years ago now but I think we did a twilight tour uh one of the nights that we were uh there for junior high and uh definitely really cool um you know I'm not you know, as big of a history guy as you are or whatever, but uh, particularly the Vietnam Wall, really just I don't know how you could go and just not be in awe and just very solemn. But yeah, I would, I, I, especially because I feel like I didn't get a chance to do as much of the Smithsonian's as I want to, and I would really want to go back and, and do those again. Oh, yeah, you could easily make a week or longer out, out of Smithsonian's alone. Okay, this is a very tortured uh, segue. 
but we're talking about Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. We're coming up on our nation's birthday, 4th of July. Andy, how do you feel about fireworks? How do I feel about fireworks? <laughs> how long you got? Go. Actually, it as won't long take as you long. need. <laughs> it, won't, it, it actually won't take long at all. It, it, I, there is no worse way to waste taxpayer money than fireworks. <laughs> I, I, I put this tweet out, and I think that's how this ended up on the agenda for today. I would rather the city of Toledo, who is putting up $30,000 for fireworks, make a statue of a turd, because at least that's not just blowing it up in the air and creating pollution. We would be better to have a statue of a turd that says, welcome to Toledo. <laughs> At the city, at the city limits, put it at the Michigan border, and that's still a better use of taxpayer money than fireworks. There is literally like there is nothing that is dumber than fireworks. Uh, for anybody who's listening, who's like Josh, you really need to push back on this. Fireworks are great. You know, it's a once a year type deal. It's really fun. Uh, I am in complete agreement with my co-host. Fireworks suck. There's nothing good about fireworks. You shoot them off and they're done. They keep your kids up. They keep your dogs up. People shoot them off at unreasonably late hours of the evening. Uh, and again, what what enjoyment did you really get? You know, just go on Google, watch some videos of fireworks. They're so loud. I I, I definitely have a combination of how loud they are and just the like i don't know if it's like some agoraphobia of just like looking up at the you know at the skyline and like how big the sky is i just i hated everything about fireworks when i was a kid when i when i got into junior high a bunch of my friends liked them and they would love to like toss them at each other's feet and they're just so dumb uh and there's nothing that i like about fireworks if you sparklers okay kids can get sparklers run around cool no worries i'm not driving out to sit for a half an hour, get chewed up by mosquitoes in the dark, kids fall asleep, and watch some fireworks explode. Uh, and I, I don't feel bad about that take at all. No chance. And the fact that people can buy fireworks like as public citizens is the dumbest thing ever. Like, how do we think that... How? <laughs> I can't even think of it, but how? This is a country where like half the people won't take a vaccine that will save their lives and the lives of people that they know. You should not be trusted with explosives. You don't need them. You don't need them. Uh, explosives. And they're not going to be sweet anyway. Like you said, go on YouTube. You're going to see fireworks that are 20,000 times cooler than anything you can do. Just watch them. I mean, really, honestly, like, let's be honest, dude. You can, most people can have pretty easy access to a gun. You have easy access to fireworks. Like, really, why can't we just buy grenades? Like, just really, like, that's where we're going next, so. I'm pretty sure the second amendment amendment says I can have whatever I want to do, whatever I want, because I'm in a militia. <laughs> oh, yep. I, uh, there's certainly quite a few people that interpreted it that way. So I had no idea how many militias there are in this country, but that's probably for another time. Give me a bazooka now stat. It's my rights. <laughs> if oh. someone comes, if, if someone comes and knocks on the door of your house with a tank, and you don't have a bazooka. Who's going to feel stupid then? Oh, Probably yeah. the guy driving the tank because gas prices, but. <laughs> true, true. All right. That was a pretty silly open. Let's, uh, tra- <laughs> let's transition. Uh, let's do a little COVID catch up here. 
Um, so it's been a little while since you and I have talked. You and I are both fully vaccinated. Much of the country is becoming that way. So just to give us some overview on where we're at right now in the United States, 142 million people are fully vaccinated, which is 43% of the country's total population. So that includes kids as well, people who are not eligible. 43% of all people in the U.S. are fully vaccinated. Uh, when we drill down to the state of Ohio, we're lagging behind the average by a bit. Uh, 41.7% of the state's population fully vaccinated. Just about 47% of the state has had at least one vaccination. I did some rough math. I don't know if this has you know, changed or how old my stats were, but that put us at about 32nd out of 50 states um, in the country, which... Not where you want to be. Not where you want to be. Disappointing, I would say, especially, you know, since we, you know, while we do have a Republican governor, we seem to have one of the few Republican governors that actually, like, has taken COVID seriously and, you know, at least taken some scientific measures uh, over the course of the last year or so. Um, So not great. uh, Not what you want. Uh, but we can get even more specific down into Lucas County, Northwest Ohio, 48% of people ages 12 and above are fully vaccinated, 52% of adults 18 and over, and a whopping 79% of people ages 65 and over, obviously the most susceptible uh, demographic to COVID. Um, So uh, what do you think, Andy? How are you feeling? I mean, I really like that uh, that 65 and over stat. That looks pretty good, the 80%. I mean, it's nice to see that Lucas County is beating the statewide average. So, I mean, I think you'd probably expect that from the urban counties. My guess would be that if you look at the urban counties, they're having a higher proportions. And if you look at the rural counties, they're having lower proportions of vaccinated people. But it's yep. st- still nice to be above that curve a little bit. For sure. Um, um, I mean, it's, it, um, go ahead. Drilling down even more specifically for us in Lucas County, uh, there are no zip codes in Northwest Ohio with a case incidence rate of 85 uh, cases per 100,000 people. Um, And again, in Sylvania, where I'm at, it's 15 and a half. Perrysburg is 18. Uh, There's there's one zip code in Salido that's pretty high. Otherwise, the surrounding area is looking pretty good. Um, So we're definitely seeing... You know, cases per 100,000 in that same range as what we were looking at last summer, which is probably another low point in the pandemic. It's curious. I'm going to be interested to see as the years go along what kind of data we get about seasonality. Definitely seems like we have dropped in the summers, which makes sense, right? Where people are more people are outside, um, you know, less people inside where it's more likely to spread. Um, but seasonality is something I have not read up a lot on. We know that the flu is seasonal, obviously. Um, and we're just going to discover more and more about the virus uh, as the years go on. Absolutely. I think, I mean, just watching the science unfold in real time is pretty fascinating. I mean, this is something that I think is pretty unprecedented in history to just have. I mean, we were talking about it here today where with the Delta variant, just, I mean, there's studies that are coming out every day finding you know, some things that are positive, some things that are a little bit less positive, but to have the science just happening in, in real time live with the level of coverage it has is just a pretty fascinating time to be alive and consuming that news media. 
it's really interesting to me like what it shows can happen when the entire world is focused on the goal and i don't know if this makes me more optimistic or less optimistic about things like climate change and about things like you know some of these more common uh you know health uh maladies like cancer and heart disease like it we've turned our entire attention to this pandemic and we have gotten extremely effective vaccines uh within a year just amazing um and so it's just interesting uh i read an article in the atlantic i'll post this in the in the show notes um on twitter um and this kind of illustrates the whole what can science can do uh and basically what some scientists did is you know there's a subspecies of mosquito that's responsible for you know malaria is the big thing that you think of for mosquito and that's actually a different subspecies but zika dengue fever yellow fever uh you know these are very uh deleterious diseases that affect large portions of the world um and what they did is there's this bacteria that's been discovered uh that i think we've known about for a while uh that infects mosquitoes and it's it's a good thing for the mosquitoes. It helps boost their immune system. But when that bacteria, you know, resides in the mosquito, it pushes out all of these other viruses uh, that cause, you know, in this case, dengue fever is the one that's been studied. And so what they did basically is they spent uh, some scientists spent a bunch of time uh, breeding and cultivating all these mosquitoes that had this bacteria. They released them out into, into uh Indonesia in, in one of the cities that's a, a hotspot for dengue fever. And just over the course of time, they were able to drastically reduce the amount of dengue fever in the city uh, by, you know, having these mosquitoes uh, propagate. Uh, it's, it's highly selective. So again, this uh, the mothers pass it on to their offspring. And as more and more time goes on, the higher percentage uh, of these mosquitoes have this uh, trait and uh, you dramatically reduce the amount of dengue fever. Uh, and, and it would work for yellow fever or Zika, anything that those mosquitoes were carrying. Um, so between that and then my Moderna is looking to put uh, flu and HIV uh, vaccines, these mRNA vaccines, uh, in the phase one uh, clinical trials, I think, in the next year or maybe even sooner. Uh, which, I mean, again, if we were alive during the you know the early 80s and and and, and cognizant then i mean I, I don't know what it was like to live in the united states when hiv and aids was just being you know discovered and 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 going you know going through the the public but just thinking how massive something like that could be so yeah i mean that's that's super exciting I going back to your comment on you don't know if it makes you optimistic or pessimistic. I think that's really exciting and it, it's given us an opportunity to see what what could happen. But also when you tell that story about, you know, trying to get those mosquitoes implanted with that bacteria, it makes me think if that were America, we would probably have protests and we would have people that were forming blocks to prevent <laughs> us from doing that. Oh, of course. Um and yeah, and again, especially like <laughs> you take the climate change thing too, right? Like we can't do, we can't follow the same trajectory that we did with COVID. If we wait until, you know, climate change is, 
as pressing as COVID was, you know, how quickly COVID started killing so many people, the the world's toast at that point. So uh, climate change has always been to me that that really difficult thing. The the hardest problems to deal with are the ones that you know it's going to be an issue in the future. But right now, everything kind of seems more or less normal-ish. And it's, you know, that short-term pain for that long-term gain. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's, you know, the the climate and the, the environment is just getting worse and worse every year that goes on. But hopefully, you know, again, we'll band together and we'll figure out something for them. Until there, until people find a way to make it more financially advantageous in this country to take care of the environment than to exploit the environment, that's never going to happen. And that's the thing, though, is I just feel like you could spin it. I know Biden's trying to. Like, if we are on the front line of clean energy, I mean, there's going to be so much jobs. There's going to be so much tech. You export all of that tech to the rest of the world. Uh, yeah, you know, it's going to come at a cost initially, and it's going to be expensive to implement and install, and you got to train up all these workers, and you got to, you know, uh, transition all these uh, fossil fuel workers into something else. Um, but there's definitely, a, you know, economic argument can be made to do this. And I just wish that that was stressed more because clearly you're only going to reach a large portion of the population by making an economic argument for climate change because the social, moral, scientific, philosophical one has not taken hold nearly as much as it should have. Yeah, I, I the the thing that gets me is so people are all up in arms about gas prices, right? That you know, yep. Joe Biden Joe Biden's out there changing the numbers on every gas station, whatever. I don't know how it's not glaringly obvious that electric is the answer. I mean, if you don't want to pay high gas prices, buy a hybrid, buy something electric. I drive a twelve-year-old hybrid, and I still get forty miles to the gallon. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and we know we know the tech is there, right? I for. I, the content of the article escapes me, but it was basically something along the lines of like Ford had some very like efficient, uh, you know, electric car battery design or whatever that they've sat on for a while. And it's just like they don't want to do it until they absolutely have to or they don't want to do it until it's going to be profitable. But, you know, there are things that we can do, uh, you know, even the driving thing, like remember in the early parts of the pandemic when everything was locked down and and uh, how much impact that it had on cutting uh, CO2 uh, in this country. Um, so there are things that we can do. There's pressure that we can apply. Um, but eventually we will have our reckoning with climate change. Uh, and if not for us, for our children, for our grandchildren, for all the people to come in the future, something we need to do better on. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to be as many generations away as people think. Yeah. I mean, it's already, you can already tell it's different, right? Like, you know, seasons are, it really just feels like we have like a hot season and a cold season. And then you have like a week or two of fall and spring, maybe like the transitions have been, you know, definitely getting, you know, shorter and weather's been getting more extreme. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this year is certainly a great example of that. There was no spring. Yeah. It was like cold, 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 like a week where it was like really nice. And then another week of cold, cold. And then it was like, okay, it's summer now. Like, so, yep. Oh, 
anyways, back to COVID. So um, talking about what the state of Ohio has done, uh, on June 2nd, most of the health orders in the state uh, were dropped. You still are required to wear a mask in the hospital or nursing home. There's still a federal travel mandate. Businesses can still enforce mask mandates if they choose. Uh, but the overall, you must wear a mask going into anywhere um, is gone now. Uh, and we had some testimony this week. Uh, and one of the more hilarious videos that you'll ever see, uh, there was a House uh, hearing in the state of Ohio, which would, uh, there's a bill that would keep a business or the government from requiring vaccinations. Uh, Andy, did you watch this uh, testimony? I'm sad to say I did. What? I, I have it. I have the which what this uh, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny said in her testimony. Would you like to read it for the audience, please? Sure. <clears throat> I'm gonna do my best Sherry Tenpenny impression here. <laughs> I'm gonna try and lose a couple brain cells and then hit you with this one. I'm sure you've seen the pictures all over the internet of people who've had these shots and now they're magnetized. They can put a key on their forehead. It sticks. They can put spoons and forks all over them. They can stick because now we think there's a metal piece to that. Oh my God. That's a tough sentence. <laughs> I read it correctly. Um, there's been people who have long suspected that there's some sort of interface, quote, yet to be de defined interface between what's being injected in these shots and all of the 5G towers. Of course, it always comes back to 5G. Listen, if my vaccine has gotten me connected to a 5G network to where I'm now like plugged in 24-7, hit me with another one. <laughs> I'll take the connectivity. What I want to do is I want to walk into a Best Buy and have all the PlayStation 5s come stick to my body and then run out of the store so I can start hawking those because... Uh, nobody can find one still, but wait, wait. Oh my God. This person is a doctor, allegedly. Like, what do we even say at this point? So the words were brutal, but did you see the video that went along with it? Oh, yes, I did. Where she's trying to stick the key to the side of her face and it won't stick. <laughs> oh. So she manages to get it to stick to like her, her neck, like upper chest area, where, uh -huh. you know, like, how grab you know the way her body is shaped gravity is going to help hold it there a little bit so that's the first example <laughs> she tries to stick it to the side of her face and it won't stick <laughs> and she's she's got that whole rambling that i just read she's going through that while she's trying to stick a key to her face and it won't stick <laughs> oh even when confronted with your own failure like you're you're saying this thing and it's you're trying to do it and it's literally not happening like oh it's unbelievable and like so so if we're magnetized how is it just in this key experiment something like how, how am i not walking through the house and sticking to the refrigerator <laughs> oh i don't there's no explanation to say you can't even make it make sense Listen, that's going to put tattoo artists out of business, though. If I can just stick a, a refrigerator magnet to the, my forehead instead <laughs> of getting the tattoo, I'm going to put my sister out of business. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't set off all the alarms when I flew the other week. Cause... <laughs> so that's what's going on in Ohio right now. Um, that's probably why we're 34th in the country. <laughs> all right, Andy. It's, it's time for us to have this discussion. 
So a hallmark of Ohio's recent vaccine strategy, we're trying to get as many people vaccinated as possible, is a plane that's been called Vaximillion. Uh, it is essentially that over the course of five Wednesdays, state of Ohio will have a lottery. You must submit, uh, you, you know, you must register for the lottery. Uh, you must be vaccinated with at least your first dose uh, of the vaccine. You have to prove that. Um, and five uh, adults will win a million dollars and five, uh, you know, teenagers will, will win full ride scholarships to uh an Ohio university of their choice, I believe. Um, and there's only one to choose if you win that scholarship kids. Of course. Why would you go anywhere else? Um, but this has drawn a lot of controversy, both between you and I and between the state as a whole. Uh, so fill everyone in Andy. Here's your chance. Why do you think Maximilian sucks? Vaximillions is not as bad as fireworks, but it's up there. <laughs> okay. We, so we have a vaccine that's going to save lives, right? Mm -hmm. and, and at the end of the day, people get to decide if they want to take that or not. And there are people out there that are saying, nah, I don't want to do it because it might save my life or the life of someone I know. But if you give me a million dollars, I'm here for it. Listen. I think we should get as many people vaccinated as possible. I 100% agree with that. I think there's people that, you know, you and I that were beating down the door for appointments. I think there's people that for whatever reason are going to choose not to. And that's their choice. But if you are a person that is not willing to do it for the public health benefits, you're not willing to do it for the personal benefits to yourself, but the money makes a difference to you, what the hell are you doing? I mean, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get why there are people out there that would be willing to do it for money, but not for other reasons. Again, I get that there's people that aren't going to do it and they have their reasons. Money should not be the reason you do it. And we should not be encouraging people to make public health decisions because it might put a million dollars in their pocket. Okay. So I would respond in two parts. One, I the the last thing that you said is an interesting ethical argument that I can get behind. Um, and I'm doing some reading for this topic. Uh, it was definitely something that's been brought up both in the medical community and just by people at large. Is this kind of an, un, you know, not, a, not a, an official coercion, but something similar to say like, look, you really don't agree with this but we're going to give you a million dollars and you can't turn down that opportunity to get a million dollars. Uh, you know, at the lottery, that's much better than a normal lottery odds wise still obviously crazy. Um, so I can buy that argument for sure, but to quote a certain Buckeye dance, discuss co-host, the only thing this country gives a shit about is money. And that, and that means that there's a large chunk of people in this country that, aren't going to do the smart thing or the right thing or, you know, the thing that they should do. But if you give them an opportunity to earn a lot of money, they'll do it. So uh, I'm going to take a page out of Machiavelli's book and just say the ends justify the means on this one. Uh, I don't love it. Again, nothing that you said is wrong. Uh, that's certainly not a thing I would put 
on my tombstone that I was like, well, I didn't get vaccinated uh, until I had the chance to win the lottery. Uh, but man, we just got to get people vaccinated. So I was for it. My favorite part of your argument was the way you used my words against me. I think you did a really nice job with that. And I'd like to give you some credit for that. First of all, <laughs> that was nice. That is all this country gives a shit about is money. So listen, listen, I, I think that's the biggest problem in this country is that this country only cares about money. And I think to me, this, I think this really just pissed me off if we're being honest, because I think it just plays right into this. And, and you're right. I mean, the, the counter argument is, we need people to do things. We have to give them the carrot that they're going to bite at. But I think that, I mean, I think this country is going to shit because all we care about is money. And I think that encouraging this and making this out to be a good thing and kind of celebrating like, hey, good job, guys. All you give a shit about is money. You don't care about, you know, the people around you. You don't care about your own health. All you care about is the million dollars. It's just the wrong message to send. But I get it. I get it. It's it's vaccinations at any cost, whatever we can do to get more people vaccinated. It just doesn't seem like it should be that hard. You're 100% right. It shouldn't be that hard. In a point in your favor, right? Like, you know, this is only, I think we're, what, three drawings in at this point? Um, yep. So we still have two more drawings, two more weeks of this. Still got a chance to win that million dollars. Um, and the data on vaccination rates since this announcement it's murky at best so we definitely saw if you take a look at the 12 days before the lottery announcement and then the 12 days after uh covid vaccination rates went up in every single of ohio's 88 counties uh particularly in rural counties um in the state which we knew were lagging behind urban counties as far as vaccination rate so that's good however right around that same time is when you have Pfizer uh, get approval to administer vaccines in 12 to 15 year olds. So you have to then go further and start parsing out the data to say, oh, well, you know, these 12 to 15 year olds, many of them probably were going to get vaccinated. Uh, they were just waiting for approval. And those numbers shouldn't really count towards the vaccinillion effect. Uh, and so I, I we don't know yet really what uh, what the overall effect of this is going to be. Dewine's come out and said that this has exceeded his you know wildest expectations as to the success rate of it, uh, and who knows whether that's real or not. You know, of course he's going to say that. Uh, but would you have done? Okay, so again, you have this money. Let's just call it ten million dollars to make a nice even number that's being given out. Uh, it's not that much, I don't think, but we'll just use that. So, would you have used if you had? Would you have still used a financial incentive uh, in some other way? And if so, do you have any idea of what you would have liked to have seen differently? No, I would not have given a financial incentive. I mean, I like the you know the brewery down the street from me, Ernest, great beer. Just shameless plug for them while we're here. <laughs> they did a vax clinic where they gave you a beer if you got a vaccine there. Uh -huh. Um, for stuff like that, no, I don't think there should be a governmental incentive at all. I mean, the okay. incentive is you can exist in society safely. The incentive is this goes away quicker. The incentive is we protect each. Like, there's there's enough incentives. I don't think we need to throw cash at it too. That's totally fair. And uh, and an argument I was prepared to make against you uh, if you wanted something. So the the opposite side of this coin, right? If you're going to do a financial incentive, is to do 
everybody gets something who gets vaccinated. Obviously, it would have to be a much smaller dollar amount. And this might come from a position of privilege. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, you know, crazy. But uh, I am in a family of five with three kids. Uh, we were not really financially affected by the pandemic. Uh, my wife had her hours cut for a couple months or so by 10%, nothing crazy. Um, we fall under the threshold uh, to get, you know, full stimulus benefits for when those went out. Uh, our household, you know, received $10,000 and essentially extra money uh, this year that we wouldn't normally expect from these stimulus uh, packages. And then also coming up uh, in, you know, a previous episode, we talked about how the new tax credit is going to start getting direct payments are going to be start uh, sent out in July for the next six months. Uh, it'll be a non-substantial. I, you know, I have three kids. Uh, one of them's under six. Uh, it's going to be like eight, eight, nine hundred dollars a month for the next six months. Um, so is what kind of financial stimulus is left to be a carrot except for something ridiculous like a lottery? Is, is kind of where I was going with that. And I think my question is like, what, what are the margins that we're reaching here on as far as, I mean, there's a large percentage of people that were again in the UNI category, I'm getting it as soon as I can. I think there's a decent percentage of people that are in the, you could give them the million dollars and they still wouldn't take it. Yep. I agree. How many people are in that middle that we're really trying to reach and what's it going to cost? And at what point is it worth it to bribe that middle group? And then what does that show for the future when we have a public health crisis? Or, I mean, not even a public health crisis, but we ha- where we have something where some of the people are kind of willing to get behind something, some of the people aren't willing, and then we have people in the middle. Does that show people that if they hold out, they can milk the government for another couple extra bucks? I mean, if I tell my kids to pick up their clothes and they do it right away and I give them a high five and that's enough, cool. If I you know, offer them 20 bucks to do it and they're not going to do it, that's whatever, it, you know, but then if I bribe them with five next time, you know, and we go back and forth and back and forth next time they hold out for seven. Yes, that's a good point. But I, I think this actually is, in a sense, really valuable research for future crises, right? Like, so we've only really talked about the carrot end of this so far. Um, and it seems like we've seen that, you know, the whole spectrum, right? We have, you know, you get vaccinated for your own health and for your family's health and for public health. No incentive whatsoever. And a good chunk of people did that. Um, And you have states all over the place. You have a couple of states that have adopted the Ohio model and are doing this lottery system. Uh, You have some states that are doing, I believe, West Virginia was doing like a $100 savings bond. Uh, You know, so something kind of more in the middle. Um, And so we're going to get some data on which of these carrots are effective because let's say, you know, COVID was 5% mortality instead of 1%. Like there might come a point in the future, we're going to have more pandemics, you know, just seems inevitable with the amount of habitat destruction and, you know, uh, global travel. Uh, We're going to have more pandemics. This is obviously a horrible one. This is a hundred year pandemic. Uh, but we're going to have them more often and you might get something eventually that's more, you know, fatal than COVID is. 
well, we're going to need people to get vaccinated ASAP. And a more fatal disease is going to just inherently going to make people want to get vaccinated sooner. But there are still going to be people who say, nah, I'm good. I'll take my 5% chance. And so we'll have some 95% of the people didn't die. Yeah, exactly. Like that's a good stat because people have no idea how probability works and they think that that's a good argument. Sorry. Right. It's not a good argument, but people (laughs) are going to, it's a horrible argument, but people are going to make it right. Yeah. And so now theoretically we'll have some data to say, okay, no incentive is going to get us here. Small incentives are going to get us this extra number of people. Large incentive possibilities will get us this extra number of people. Uh, But really, I'm curious to see if we're going to switch to a more stick-like mentality, right? Like, if we're going to say have jobs say, you must get vaccinated in order to continue working here. We've seen some of that already with hospital systems. Uh, You know, I think it was an Indiana hospital, maybe, where there was a very misleading headline that was like, hospital requires employees to get vaccinated some disagree and it was like some extremely small number in total but you know they blew it out of proportion uh to give each one of them a a voice to express their concerns of why they aren't getting vaccinated um so we haven't really in my opinion done the okay you're gonna have consequences if you don't get vaccinated i there certainly are some there's certainly still places of business that employee mass mandate, but we could crank those up too and get some data on whether those are more effective than the carrots or less. I mean, if, tell me if I'm wrong here, but doesn't it feel a little not American to force people to get a vaccine or to even incentivize people to get a vaccine? I mean, isn't this the country that wants the freedom to do whatever it is that they want to do? I mean, at some point, do we just look at people and say, live with the consequences of what you've done? I mean, I don't want to do that as like somebody that gives a shit about people, but at the same time, this country, I mean, despite the fact that people have proven over and over again, that have private ownership of guns is a really bad idea. This country continues to cling to, but we, but we should keep doing this because we want to be able to do what it is that we do. So at some point it almost feels to me un-American to be incentivizing people to do something they don't want to do. If they don't want to do it, I mean, this country is going to be shittier for it, but this is kind of the bed that we've wanted to make for ourselves. Yeah. But again, I guess you just, you know, it's the, you have freedom of speech, but you know, you don't have freedom of consequences. You can't go into a movie theater and yell fire. Um, luckily I don't, I don't know the particulars of the court case, but I do know that it is a very established law, plenty of precedent that employers can make their employees get vaccinated there are caveats, obviously, um, you know, the medical and, and religious reasons, you know, there's potential for those. A thing that's held off a lot of employee employers from doing so, I think, is the fact that the vaccine is not, you know, fully approved yet. It's still under emergency use authorization. I expect that we will see a significant increase in employers requiring their employees to be vaccinated once that approval happens. And so, yeah, you, you're, there's a little bit of gray area there, but in the, the general principle of requiring vaccines is luckily settled law in the United States. Um, and so if you want to bring the noise and fight it, by all means, but uh, I think it's going to be a long, drawn-out fight that will ultimately end in, in, in losing. So, 
Yeah, but you have to remember in a situation like that where it's a long drawn out fight where you end up winning, sometimes you still lose because fighting is expensive. And the challenge is going to be some businesses may cave even though the law is on their side because it's just too damn expensive to fight it. And that is that is absolutely a possibility um, we're certain. And again, we've seen kind of all sorts of of things in the business world, right? Like uh, there are places in Toledo I walk into that still very prominently have their masks are required. I've seen, uh, I went to the vet uh, earlier this week and the sign on the door said, uh, you know, masks are still required. It doesn't matter what your vaccination status is explicitly spelled out on, uh, on the doors of the business. And then I've seen, you know, things that don't have anything anymore and everybody's walking around without one. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, I guess where your freedom argument comes in. Businesses can pick and choose what they want to do. Uh, customers can pick and choose if they want to patronize a business that has a, a mass mandate in place or not. Um, but no, I think in this, you know, there are a few things that I think, again, going back to, you know, what if we get something with 5% mortality, 10% mortality, are you still, you know, should we still cling to that, you know, when we start getting into, you know, end of the world type pandemic uh, deals? So I'm not saying I think it, I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying I think that's a good idea or a good argument. I think there are some things that are way more important than the freedom to make really stupid decisions. And I think <laughs> this is one of them. And I yes. think like, I don't like the way that I, I honestly don't like the direction this country's heading. And I think there's some things we should change. I'm just saying, I think there's a large part of the country that, that, that would make that freedom over everything argument. I think it's a terrible, I, I think it's a terrible argument too. And I just want to be clear that I do not actually support that. I was just kind of throwing out there is that is kind of America. Duly I mean, that's, that's that's the fireworks crowd yes and, that, and again that going back to why i thought this was going to be a good idea i thought there was going to be a considerable amount of overlap between people who had not yet been, been vaccinated people who struggle with probability and people who love to play the lottery and again you have the opportunity to play a lottery that's better than a normal lottery because it was about i don't know the usual Ohio lottery is about one in 12 million. And this is about one in 3 million or so. Uh, so your odds are four times better. Uh, even though it's still one in 3 million. So I thought that, that this was going to be a, a, a winner, like clearly uh, that people were going to be flocking to, to the chance to win a million left and right. But uh, it doesn't seem that way, but only time will tell, I guess what impact it ultimately had. Well, just remember, even if you don't win the vaccine millions, and I don't think we talked about how stupid the vaccine millions are just because I haven't won. I mean, I think <laughs> it's dumb. I'm taking that money to the bank and I'm <laughs> like, I'm happy as shit if I win that. Like, I'm not saying no to it. I think it's dumb, but I still watch because I want to know if I won. But uh, <laughs> I mean, even if you don't win it, I mean, we were talking about the benefits for everybody. I mean, we're all 5G connected now, so at least you get something out of it quick segue uh speaking of 5g connected uh buckeye cable is is prepping to lay fiber in my neighborhood and i'm gonna be getting with that sick sick fiber speeds as soon as i have the opportunity to as soon as they do an account review <laughs> yeah yeah they're currently uh being sued by the city of toledo right now and that's a whole nother story for another time 
Man, that is tough to decide who to root for in a battle between the city of Toledo and Buckeye Cable. Is there a way they can both lose? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think I'm still going to I'm still going to take the city, I think, over a Buckeye. Buckeye. Oh, it's the city over Buckeye 100%. <laughs> what what a what a bullshit monopoly they have. Yeah. And this is going to be the last podcast that we're able to push out before I don't have internet at my house. Yeah, I'm having anyway. internet issues all of a sudden. What yeah, happened? For sure. <laughs> One random question I want to ask you before we finish up with COVID. Yep. There's been a lot of news lately. There's been a, and some momentum that about the lab leak theory of COVID that this is not in fact something that naturally evolved out of bats and into you know maybe into another species and then the humans uh you know the chinese meat markets that are famous kind of for those uh cross species uh contaminations and and virus factories uh but this potentially maybe possibly unknown at this point could have been a virus that was being studied in uh, a wuhan lab that you know not nobody really thinks any kind of maliciousness at this point, but somebody had an accident with their PPE and their precautions. Uh, you know, that several doctors got infected and that is how the the pandemic started. Um, we don't know, and there's no point in speculating, but let's just say hypothetically, does this even matter to you? Like, you know, the pandemic has happened regardless really of how it started so many people have died uh we we developed these vaccines we're putting these precautions in place are you know are you gonna does it matter to you in any substantial way how the the virus originated no and i think i i I think the more we dig into it first of all there's shady stuff happening all over the world like 24 7 I think it's a little bit like the NCAA. I mean, I think there's people that have gotten caught and I think there's people that are doing, you know, everybody's doing something wrong. Some people just get caught. Yep. So I think there's probably shady stuff happening all over the world. I think if it comes out that this was, no, I mean, I don't think anything, I don't think anything good could come of it. And I think a lot of bad things could come of it that are going to just prolong suffering in the world. I I think, I think I'm gonna leave it at that, but no, I, I think, I think the further we dig into it, probably just the worse things are going to get. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, matter. It was terrible. We have tools to fight it that we've never had before, and that's a good thing. I would leave it at that. Yeah, are we really going to do the like China owes the rest of the world reparations for the the damage of the pandemic? Like, I could not think of you know a more volatile situation than taking one of the top two most powerful, you know richest you know countries in the world and saying oh we're all going to point the finger at you and humiliate you uh and and economically and politically damage you um it just can't be good right like obviously um governments all across the world need to take uh you know a critical look at the research they're performing precautions safety measures doing everything that we can to keep everything as safe as possible. There's certainly an argument to be had about gain of function testing and and what we do the different, uh, you know, from a genetics perspective on viruses and bacteria, whether those things are are moral and ethical and medically necessary uh, for sure. But ultimately, you know, the the cat is out of the bag. Like this happened. Uh, 
we didn't handle it well. China didn't handle it well. The United States didn't handle it well. Many countries across the world didn't handle it well. It is what it is. It's very, you know, obviously that doesn't make, you know, the people who've died or their families feel any better. You know, it doesn't say that, oh, well, we got some vaccines out of it. So it's all wash or whatever. Obviously, nobody's saying any of that. Uh, but I just feel like we've learned a lesson and, you know, going after, you know, the root cause in a, you know, in a, in a punishing type of way isn't going to get us anywhere. No, it's very, I mean, it just makes me think of Germany, 1918, Treaty of Versailles. Yeah. Punishing countries for things that we think that they've done wrong tends not to work out in a way that makes the world a safer, happier, better place. Yeah, that's a, I think that's an apt analogy, and uh, I would agree with that. Okay, switching gears. Our last episode was about sports, and there's some things I wanted to follow up with you on. Um, I did not watch, but I saw I was in the group text conversation. Andy, there was a U.S. men's national team game pretty recently, right? Oh, yeah. That was, uh, it was June 6th, so it was for the CONCACAF Nations League Championship which honestly doesn't really matter that much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was the first year of it. I mean, it's the countries in the Confederation play each other. I don't think anybody really cared that much, but it was USA versus Mexico in the final. And USA versus Mexico always matters. I mean, Ohio State could play Michigan in arm wrestling and people would watch because it's Ohio State versus Michigan. This is the same kind of an idea. And this was like, this was the A squad from the U.S., so, I mean, we, we, we put out a good team. Mexico put out a good team. So, I mean, it was it was a watchable game. It was kind of exciting. So, but the game itself, holy shit, this was a good one. <laughs> so, tune in, right? Mexico takes the ball from one of the center backs, basically off the opening kickoff, scores one minute into the match. Oh, no. It ain't looking good. <laughs> I actually considered turning it off at that point. I was like, this is brutal. So... All right, so we're gonna get pounded. I mean, our our in in our our center backs looked brutal the entire match, despite the way that it turned out. Okay. Okay. So so Mexico scores one minute into the match, right? U.S. is able to equalize twenty seven minutes in, so we got a nice one one match. Seventy ninth minute, Mexico scores. For those of you that aren't soccer people, they only play ninety. So I mean, we're ten minutes from the end of of the match. Mexico scores. Things aren't looking good. Three minutes later, boom! U.S. comes back ties it up we're going to extra time early into extra time the u.s starting goalkeeper goes down hurt and that ain't good <laughs> who's so uh who's our starting goalkeeper these days zach stephan he plays for manchester city so kind okay. of a big kind of a big deal there yeah for sure uh he's actually a columbus crew product and he, he plays for city so he goes down hurt and ethan horvath comes in he's a backup i mean he plays in some kind of like the b squad matches but he's it's it's pretty well thought of as a step down. I mean, uh-huh. Stefan's like, I mean, Stefan just played in the Champions League final. This guy is not playing in Champions League finals. Right, right, right. So he comes in, looks a little bit shaky. But anyway, so it, it ends up going to extra time. The U.S. scores at the 114-minute mark. So they play an extra half hour. So we're going to 120 here, right? Mm-hmm. So the U.S gets hauled down in the box, scores a penalty in the 114th minute. So U.S. is up 3-2. Things are looking great, right? Well, yeah. Mexico gets a penalty 
There's six minutes left and Mexico gets a penalty. Oh no. In that last six minutes to tie it and and you know, then we're gonna send it to a penalty shootout, right? Yep. So after the the VAR review, which of course takes forever, Mexico steps up to the penalty and the keeper saves it. Dive wow. and save, palms it to the side. US is able to hang on for like nine minutes of stoppage time and get the dub. So this guy came in cold off the bench. 20 minutes later, I mean, this is, this is a guy sitting on the bench, probably, you know, enjoying that he's got a great seat to the game, but not expecting to come into a match like this. And he makes the late game penalty save to get the dub for the U.S. to win the Nations League championship. So it was nice for the A squad for the U.S. to go up against a good Mexico team. But holy shit, the drama of this game was incredible. Yeah, and I mean, especially like it's it's hard to save a penalty kick in soccer, right? Like, and this is you know usually a pretty high success rate. So, so I watched the Europa League final that was a couple of weeks ago, and they went each side went ten for ten on penalties before they saved the eleven. One team saved the eleventh. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a pretty high conversion rate. Yeah, that's crazy. Incredible! Just full stretch, palms it to the corner. Zach texted me. He woke up the entire house screaming. I was, <laughs> I managed to keep it quiet, but it, it, it was nice to see the U.S. in a competitive match looking good because it's been a while since we've been able to have positive things to say about the U.S. soccer team. So I don't know what that says, you know, long term, if that's if this is something really to build off of. But it was nice to just have that moment. So where are we at in the World Cup cycle with this team right now? So that is a good question. Uh, we are working on qualifying. Yeah. So next one is 2024. No, that can't be right, right? Uh, it is 2022, but it's – so they're playing Qatar, and they're going to switch it until fall. So it's going to be like uh, start right before Thanksgiving and play to almost Christmas. And we have a chance to qualify for that one or no? We do. We do. Okay. So qualification will start soon-ish here. And we did um, not qualify for the 2018 World Cup then, correct? Correct. So like the the kind of booty teams in CONCACAF start actually tomorrow. There are some matches. So like Canada's playing Haiti. St. <laughs> Kitts and Nevis is playing El Salvador. So the, 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 the booty teams are playing to get into the hex to qualify. So we, we don't have to play in that. I just want to point out that you, the Canada of the lover, just called them a booty team on the podcast. They are a booty team when it comes to soccer. Although they are getting better at soccer. They're pretty booty when it's when we're talking soccer. <laughs> All right. Well, best of luck to the men's team. We really hope that you make the World Cup this time and then never drop out of the World Cup ever again. Come on. What are you doing? Let's go. Yeah. It was it was nice to have that moment. It was just a, a little bit of optimism for a program that has been brutal lately. Okay, Andy, a late addition to the outline, and I think we're going to touch on this much more in a later episode. I just wanted to get your initial thoughts. It came out this week that there's a proposal and a recommendation for the college football playoff to expand to 12 teams. 12-team format would be the four highest-ranked conference champions, when we seeded one through four and receive a first round fine teams five through 12 would play each other in the first round uh, on the home field of the higher ranked team. The quarterfinals and semis would be in bowl games. National championship game would be at a neutral site. 
what did you think of this when you saw it? I mean, I think the coolest part about it is that there's going to be games on the home field, but Ohio State, as a team that's likely going to be in the top four, is going to be playing at home. So <laughs> it's not even cool for for my team. Um, I mean, it's the NCAA. There's more cash in it, of course. If they could expand it and people would watch it at 64 teams, they'd probably do it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's the NCAA. It's the second most corrupt organization in the world. It might be the most corrupt organization in the world. I think if you put FIFA and the NCAA up against each other, like pound for pound and corruption, it'd be an interesting matchup. Um, Don't sleep on the IOC. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, that's a good point. I'll be I, think, honest. I mean, I, I'm not watching that. I'm not watching it until it gets to the final four, most likely. And I mean, I, I barely even watch the non-Ohio State games as it is anymore. But I think it waters down the regular season, which is easily the best thing about college sports or college football. So, I mean, I don't like that. Um, the fact that Notre Dame can't be ranked in the top four. I mean, do like that because it's just funny. Yeah, so to clarify what Andy said there, you have to be a conference champion to be in the top four. Notre Dame is not officially part of a conference. They, yes, they play some ACC games. Uh, so that would have to change if Notre Dame ever wants to get a bye in the system. But, I mean, it's 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 really expected. So I don't know that there's – I mean, I think, we yeah, we could probably spend another pod breaking it down and, and some of the interesting things. I honestly think a Super League would be more more interesting than this. Yeah, I think this is trash. I hate this. Um, Like you said, the reason that even I don't check out of those, you know, blowout games is because in college football, every game more than pretty much any sport matters. And if you lose, you know, yeah, if you're a really, really, really good team, if you're one of those Bama's, Clemson's, Ohio State's, you could still lose one of your other games, one of your conference championship and be in. But if any sport says our regular season games matter, it's the NCAA uh, football. This is trash. Like six teams, maybe if we're going to expand. Like, and I don't even want to see that. Uh, the four has been good for me. Four is, you know, makes you make a tough decision, makes you work throughout the regular season, and you just get two bowl games in the national championship. Uh, I strongly, strongly dislike this system. You're going to get just garbage games. You're going to, you know, there's going to be years where 9, 10, 11, 12, all of those teams are going to be garbage. They're going to be in a completely different tier. And then what's the point of even having the system at all? So uh, it's a big thumbs down for me. But uh, we can dive into all the implications at, in a later episode as we get closer to football season. We'll see if this actually bears fruit and it comes to pass. I believe it wouldn't be until either 2023 or 2024, somewhere in there, I saw yeah, that, that seems about right. So, you know, we'll, we'll table this for now, but uh, my initial impression is that this sucks. So, 100% with you on that. I, I thought this entire podcast we'd be at odds a little bit more, but uh, we seem to disagree on a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, you know, we have, we have known each other for quite some time now, so. That doesn't mean we've always agreed. That's true. Yeah, we've had some epic ones, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, Give us a quick how the NHL playoffs are going and how did your MVP ballot turn out? 
so the NHL doesn't announce the MVP until after the season. Oh, so. okay. All right. But I mean, I think like we talked about with the NBA, I mean, it's a clear runaway. If Connor McDavid doesn't win it, then they can just cancel the awards. I mean, he ended up with over a hundred points. Yeah, he crushed it. So there's no chance he doesn't win it, but they have not announced it yet. Yeah, um, the NBA is all over the place because I thought they also waited just for that one award after the season and they gave it, they, they announced it in some stupid award show. Um, but they did announce it uh, earlier. And uh, like I said, it was also obvious in the NBA. Nikola Jokic is your is your NBA MVP. Uh, Embiid was second. Curry was third. I nailed all of that. And then I flopped uh, Giannis and Chris Paul in the four and five spots. So. Yeah, not bad if you nail the uh, nail the top three and get four and five right and just switch them over. Yeah. Um, so anyway, how the uh, is it? Are things going according to plan right now in the NHL or no? Yeah, things are going well. I mean, things are not going chalk, but as far as like you know, coping with COVID and all that, yeah, things are good. Uh, Canada has opened their border for travel, so they played the Canadian division, the Montreal Canadiens, in a huge upset. Uh, they beat the Toronto Maple Leafs and then they beat the Winnipeg Jets. So Montreal is coming out of the north and they are opening the Canadian border so they can travel to Vegas. Okay. To play the Vegas Golden Knights who are coming out of that Western division. And then in the east, Tampa, the defending champs, are playing the New York Islanders who are mild. They mildly upset uh boston but i mean new york's a good team too so tampa is i think everybody expected tampa to be there i mean they pretty much have the same team together that they won the cup with last year their goalie's playing great so there's no reason to not expect them there vegas versus colorado was a huge heavyweight matchup in the semis so that went six games vegas wrapped that up last night um it was super fun to watch it was colorado came out and won the first game i think it was like seven to one or something so okay. it looked like it was going to be a blowout, and then Vegas battled back. So that was a good series. But the final four is set. The first game is coming up here, I think, Sunday night. And the there there was some, you know, some worries that they weren't going to let the Canadians travel back and forth across the border. So they were looking at alternate sites where they're going to maybe have to home base out of the U.S. But Canada has been reasonable and said that they're going to let them travel back and forth. And at least for the U.S. teams, there are fans in a lot of the buildings. And it's it's different to, to see fans back in the building is is pretty interesting. Yeah, and certainly it makes the the telecast that much better in my opinion. Um, now I've got the you know watch some games and I've been in the Garden in New York and Utah always has a crazy crowd and and just being able to hear the volume I think has been has been really nice. So as far as the NBA, the NBA is a chalk league and this year is no exception. It's just different in that this year, the chalk teams are different teams than normal. So out West, the West is still kind of a mystery, uh, but the one and two seeds are, are up in their series. Um, Utah over the LA Clippers two zero so far. And then uh, the Phoenix Suns are two zero over the Denver Nuggets and they're leading right now as we speak. Uh, that game just kicked off not too long ago. But, you know, LeBron, James, Steph Curry, both out of the playoffs. The L.A. Lakers uh, lost in the first round against the Phoenix Suns. Anthony Davis got hurt, so you get a little bit of an asterisk there. Uh, but LeBron's starting to get to the point where he can't just do it all by himself. 
uh, in the playoffs anymore. He's got to have some help. So um, in the East, uh, Brooklyn look, looks unstoppable. Uh, they are killing uh, the Milwaukee Bucks as the three seed in their series right now. Um, and the Philadelphia 76ers, the one seed, they are uh, beating the Atlanta Hawks. They are up 2-1 right now. Just one note, you know, going into the playoffs, uh, Brooklyn, again, their big three, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, they've been riddled with injuries throughout the year. They've only played 202 minutes uh, over eight games at all together in the regular season. So, you know, just eight games where they had their their best three players all out on the floor at the same time. Uh, and James Harden went down early in this uh, in the playoffs. Uh, he's had some injuries, uh, but Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are just spectacular, and they've been. Uh, it's very possible that we'll look back in a month and be like, "Oh, this team was just the best all year." Once they got healthy-ish, you know, they crushed everybody. So, uh, but that remains to be seen. So, a nice time of the year to be getting healthy. Absolutely. <laughs> um, all right, so we're going to close out sports with kind of a big picture topic sport that we don't talk about at all. And I, you know, I will watch when my wife has it on because she likes tennis uh, quite a bit. But one of the bigger sports stories over the last couple of weeks uh, uh, was in regards to Naomi Osaka and the French Open. Uh, Going into the tournament, uh, Osaka said that doing press conferences gives her anxiety, it's bad for her mental health, and that she was going to not do them she would accept any fines that she would receive the french open fined her fifteen thousand dollars and said if you don't do press uh we will escalate including potentially expelling you from the tournament uh and she said lol uh fine and she withdrew from the tournament and chose not to play uh leaving the french open looking like you know giant douchebags and still getting that horrible outcome where one of the bigger stars in women's tennis was not present in the tournament. And so for this particular case, Andy, I don't think there's a whole lot to discuss. Uh, You know, I think she was well within her rights to not want to do this. She opted not to play. Uh, The organization looks like, you know, huge assholes. Uh, But my bigger question to you is both, uh, I wanted to get your feedback on the story, but what do you think athletes owe us? And us, I'm using as a big umbrella term, you know, to be the media, to be fans, to be the, you know, the sports leagues and organizations uh, around, you know, interaction around, you know, sitting at these press conferences. Uh, you might, you know, remember from a couple of years ago, the Marshawn Lynch, I'm just here so I don't get fined, uh, you know, what he did at his press conferences. What do you think about this topic? Well, first of all, the Marshawn Lynch press conferences were the, the goat of press <laughs> conferences. I lo- I was there for every so I love I'm just here so I don't get fine. Loved it. For sure. I love that that they kind of tried to big dog Naomi Osaka and she said, you know what, I'm done. Whatever. I like that that kind of blew up in their face and and they're the ones that kind of look really stupid for trying to draw a line in the sand. And then she said, you know, I don't got to play in this, whatever. What do they, I I think there's a couple of different questions in there. So when you ask what do athletes owe us, as far as the media, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's all that interesting. Like I'm not the guy that's going to watch a press conference after a game. 
I don't think it's it's particularly all that interesting. I think in this day and age, the media is a little bit of like a, I don't know, like what the print media needs, like a, a quote for a story. I mean, there's so many different ways to reach people. I think the media is a little bit of a dying breed, especially kind of the traditional media that are the people that really want things like press conferences. And, and as far as what do they owe the fans? I mean, I think it's a little bit a question of what, what do the athletes want out of it? I mean, obviously having fans more engaged is going to drive your viewership higher. It's going to drive people to spend more money. And at the end of the day, it's going to translate into more money in your pocket. So I think it's kind of up to each individual player. How much do you want to put into the game in hopes that you're going to be able to then reap the benefits of that? I mean, if you want it to be a game where you just go out and play and you don't say anything to the media or the fans at all, that's fine. But I think your track's going to be a little bit lighter because your league's not going to be as popular. And I think that's fine if that's the choice that the players, at the end of the day, sports is a product and if they want to invest in if players want to invest if leagues want to invest in you know engaging with media and fans i think that's cool i think if leagues and players choose not to do that i think that's fine too because i think the market will bear out you know the decisions that those players and leagues make okay yeah i mean i feel a lot of that and i from a fan's perspective like you know there are so many avenues for players to get out their message and whatnot um you know the press conference does feel like an antiquated piece uh, of communication from before social media existing Uh, athletes, you know, certainly uh, worry about their brands and and, and are out there on social media and the commercials. And and there's so many ways that they can communicate uh, with us. I, I, I don't have full knowledge, especially for all the different leagues, as far as like, do they have, you know, contractual obligation? Do they have kind of a, you know, written or unwritten obligation to do some of this. Uh, and again, as a reminder, I was totally fine with Naomi Osaka doing this, but I do think that you have to prevent the the Marshall Lynch types of just, you know, people just say, oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, well, it stresses me out. Oh, it makes me anxious. Some of those moments that we get that are really kind of moving are after a loss, after you know, a ser- you know, the series is over, um, you know, you just get some raw emotion. You know, I remember, um, you know, at the end of LeBron's tenure, his first tenure in Cleveland, where the Celtics annihilated them, and it was just written all over his face that, like, he was done in Cleveland, he couldn't get it done. And you just, you know, we, the a, bit, a very big collective we, are, you know, denied those moments when you know there's no contractual media for these reporters uh to see the players again we put these in place in the beginning so you didn't have reporters up in the locker rooms you have 500 reporters sitting around you know one person's locker room it's a more controlled environment uh you can you know knock out more birds with one stone as it were um so i do actually think that athletes do have some obligation as you know as you know, employees of the team or the league to say, like, I need to do my part to help grow the game, be available for whatever the schedule is, uh, but within reason, right? And, you know, the saying, oh, hey, you know, from a mental health perspective, this is not good for me. I don't want to do this. 100% okay with that. Don't have any issues with that. But if you start seeing more and more, you know, especially in something like tennis where, 
you know, the, the audience is really driven by just a handful of people, right? Like we see this in golf. If Tiger's in a, in a tournament, viewership numbers go crazy. Tiger's not, you know, less so. Same thing with tennis and Serena uh, and Venus at different points. Uh, so I, I do think there is some kind of, you really do need to go. It can't just be a, I don't like talking to the media. Uh, so I don't want to do press and so I'm not going to do press. Uh, you know, the fines, $15,000. Naomi Osaka made like $58 million last year, I think. So what's the point of that? Uh, that's not doesn't have any real impact at all. But I do just think it is somewhat of a slippery slope to say, okay, can we just hand wave any athlete who doesn't want to do press because they say they don't like doing press? I don't really know what the right answer is. Um, so that's why I thought it was kind of an interesting topic to, to discuss. As a guy that probably watches, I'm assuming from that conversation that I probably watch less press than you. I don't yeah. think it bothers. I don't think it bothers me one bit. I want to see the game. I want to see you play. I want to see what's happening on, you know, on the court, on the ice, on the field, you know, talk about it afterwards, whatever. I mean, I'm going to be honest, I'm probably asleep half the time by the time the game's over, so there's no way I'm watching a press conference right after a game. I probably missed the fourth quarter, but. Yeah, but you're you're not watching, and then again, I'm also, asleep, you know, asleep often at that point or whatever, but when you wake up in the morning, you're scrolling through Twitter, and something's on Center from the previous night, and, you know, Draymond Green called Kevin Durant a bitch, uh, you know, and, and Kevin Durant ends up leaving the Golden State Warriors, uh, and the, the, the B word was alleged. I don't think we officially know that, even though it was likely. You know, you want to, you know, if you can get a guy right after that happens, sit in front of the mic and maybe he's just going to say whatever. Uh, you know, it's certainly interesting. And maybe that's just the product of me being an NBA fan in the sense that the NBA has always been, you know, probably the most of the team sports leagues, a player-driven league, uh, you know, a star-driven league. And so where stars go and what their mood is and do they want to be traded and actually have some agency to kind of push themselves out of a team uh, and go somewhere else. It's there's certainly some opportunities there, even though most stars are very good about keeping it buttoned up and, and not, you know, showing their hands. But yeah, again, I'm not, I'm not staying up after the game to, to see the press conference. But again, if something juicy happens afterwards, uh, you know, I'll certainly watch the clip on Twitter and Sports Center. Yeah, I just don't know that I think that requires a press conference to do that. Yeah, again, that's fair. And I think, especially, you know, it, 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 I think it's different in a team sport too. So, going to the specific situation that we talked about, I mean, it's not so if you, you know, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to go speak to the media, there is. 52 other guys in the locker room that could go out and speak to the media. And I mean, they probably want to talk to Aaron Rodgers, but at the same time, you know, if Devonte Adams wants to go out and take that, take that for him, that's an option. If Aaron Rodgers is like, you know, it's not, not going to be me today. She doesn't have that option. That's just her. Right. True. That's true. I mean, what's she going to do? Send out, send out her trainer, send out her coat. No. And I mean, at the end of the day, what do you, what are you really going to say in a press conference about a tennis match? I won. I lost. And I mean, this wasn't even at a point where it's not like she had come off of a huge loss to, you know, gotten upset by an unseated player or something like that. It was just a a run of the mill press conference. Come out. Yeah. What you do to prepare. I don't know. I I practiced, I worked out, you know, 
obvious shit. What's your plan for winning? Uh, I'm going to go out and try and play. It's not like it's going to be exciting or interesting. It's you not, are. It's probably not worth the time of the reporters. It's definitely not worth her time to go give the same answers to the same questions that she's probably asked a hundred thousand times that people are going to read and say, yeah, of course that's the answer to the question. And if it's going to stress her out, I'd, I would rather her be less stressed and play her best on the court because I, that's what I want to see. You know, I want to see somebody play at their best. I want somebody playing and worried about having to go answer some bullshit question for a reporter. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with you that the overwhelming majority of, you know, sideline reporter questions, you know, post-game press conference questions, they're not getting you any information. They're super inane. Uh, so no disagreement there. Um, I just, I do just think that athletes have some responsibility in some undefined way that I don't really 100% have flushed out to promote the game promote the league that they're a part of um you know it's kind of just as responsibility of of being an employee in that league uh but certainly and again just just for the for the third time i i don't disagree with what uh, osaka said i think she is totally within her rights to not want to do press in this case uh, and again the french open fucked around and found out right like they're like oh you know we'll get rid of you and then thinking that that was that ultimate you know, stick that was going to make her, you know, stay in the tournament. And she was like, nah, I'm good. I'm just not going to play. So, yeah, I'm sure that was stressful for her, but what a boss move to just say, I don't need you guys. I'm done. It's, it's amazing. That's grade a good for her politics. Andy, I feel like has been pretty quiet. And so we're just going to just a few things that kind of caught my eye lately. Um, it's almost like there's probably a reason that politics are a lot quieter than when we started this podcast. Yeah, you know, yeah in, a, it, in a different administration. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but going back to the old guy, um, it's been reported by multiple, you know, New York Times, uh, National Review, I believe, so not just not just the liberal media, that Trump sincerely thinks that he will be reinstated in August as president after all of these audits are complete. And if this isn't one of the craziest things I've ever heard, I mean, I think this kind of answers the question, at least now, uh, does Trump believe all the bullshit that he spews or is he, you know, is it just an act? Because that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Listen, he is down at Mar-a-Lago right now, sipping on the $17 Virgin Berry Spritzers. He can say whatever he feels like saying. Yeah, you say that, but he's going to run in 2024. He could be indicted, but as long as he's not in jail, he's going to be like, oh, I can run again. And if I'm president, I probably won't be, you know, actually, you know, prosecuted because sitting presidents apparently can just do whatever the fuck they want and, and not be indicted. Uh, so I, I know we want to just put him in the rearview mirror, but he is coming in 2024, pending, you know, any kind of health, uh, you know, issue or being in jail. Yeah, I don't think that's anything new. I think he's always been coming. I think if you look at the way the Republican Party has been posturing themselves, nobody's cutting ties with that guy because they know he's coming too. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't think there's really anything new. I mean, yeah, he's going to say insane things like that. He's going to, because it keeps him relevant. But it's there's... not going to happen, but it keeps him relevant. It keeps his supporters whipped up to say, yeah, see, it was it was a big lie. It was a big lie. We'll show him in 24. 
he has to stay relevant. So, I mean, he had been dying down in the news. He's still banned from social media because, you know, he's inciting coups against their government and crazy things like that. He's got to stay relevant somehow. I would expect it to probably get crazier as the next two, three years unfold. It's just, it's just, I, I'm, it's ridiculous of me that I'm still surprised, but there, there's no, the constitution has no mechanism for any person to be reinstated after an election is certified. Like he tried to get Mike Pence lynched and there was no mechanism (laughs) for the constitution to stop them confirming the legal vote either. He doesn't give a shit what the constitution says. I don't, I don't think he's had Siri read it to him yet. <laughs> he ain't read nothing um, himself. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Greene, your favorite congressperson, compared nope. mass mandates to yellow stars from the Holocaust. No. Uh, <laughs> um, if you voted for her, if you were a person who voted for her, maybe I don't know. You know, I think this is still her first term. So maybe, you know, you don't really get a pass, but maybe the first time. If you vote for Marjorie Taylor Greene a second time, you should be shunned from society. There are people that, there are people that support the things that she says. Listen, I'm not going there. (laughs) I can't go there with her. (laughs) I just can't. Uh, I can't. that, That is probably the safest option. So we will move right on to... The last thing that I have here. There there, there are a lot of reasons that I believe that this country is fucked. I mean, she she could be the symbol of them. (laughs) The fact that that's the fact that that is tolerated in our in our nation, celebrated, but even tolerated. I mean, the things that she did to AOC, which I mean, I don't agree with a lot that AOC says, but she's like assaulting her because she's wearing a fucking mask. No, I'm not. I said I wasn't doing it. I'm not doing it. (laughs) All right, we will move away from temptation. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to vent for a second that it just sucks so much that, like, when Republicans get in power, they do everything they can to consolidate their power, and they do all these terrible things. But they they do things, and they do things that advantage their party. And when Democrats take power, they just, like, don't fucking do anything, like... Right now, there is a bill in the Senate, and again, we can certainly debate the merits of this, and I no intention of doing that tonight. But there is a bill that is going to basically make it much harder for Republicans to suppress the vote, makes it easier to vote. It tries to work on eliminating gerrymandering as much as possible by calling for nonpartisan commissions because the, the, the House is very much you know, in danger as redistricting happens uh, this year uh, to make the House more red. And yet Senate Democrats can't agree to get rid of the filibuster, you know, even in a limited way to pass something like this. Uh, And it just makes me so mad when it's the, the, the trajectory is so, is so clear, right? Every, you know, we, we control everything right now. Uh, we don't do anything to, and again, keeping power for us is just trying to make things fair because the more people who vote, the more likely Democrats are going to win. We just need people to be able to vote. And instead, we're not going to do anything. We're going to lose the House in 2022. 
nothing's going to get done for two more years. And then people are going to be like, well, shit, nothing got done in the back half of Biden's years when an elected Republican. And then we're going to go back to Trump or Trump Jr. or who, who the hell knows. And it's like, I don't, I don't know if it's just because, you know, it's just a bunch of septuagenarians who just are out of touch and, and still think that they can work with people across the aisle. But like, we got to do something so this doesn't, you know, just happen. So Republicans can't just outright seal elections in the future, because you know that's the next play in the playbook. Uh, it's just so frustrating to, you know, again, the American Recovery Act has a lot of good things in it. I'm definitely going to be soaking up that uh, expanded child tax credit uh, in the back half of this year. Uh, there's a lot of good things to help a lot of people. But again, being able to make things fair, which benefits Democrats, just do it. Just stop fucking around and do it. I'm so frustrated. I mean, I think at this point we have a system that's pretty broken and we're just not willing to admit that in any way. I mean, so we just slide, uh, yeah. we just slide further and further into autocracy because. Yep. <laughs> oh. Because oh. we because we would rather things get really bad and still say America's great than admit the fact that we have problems we need to work on. We're like a person that needs to go to therapy because we got some shit going on and we're just going to bury our heads in the sand and wait for our fucking prom. <laughs> That's where we're at. We have a lot of issues as a nation and, and we would rather just ignore them and wave American flags and shoot off fireworks and pretend like everything's fine. So we'll see. Hopefully I will be proven wrong and we'll get something past here. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not looking good. So we'll see. Alrighty, Andy. We've gone all over the place. Let's wrap it up the way we normally do. It's the list of the week. Let's go. It's the list of the week. Alrighty, Andy. So we are coming up on Father's Day. You are a dad. I am a dad. Uh, so let's discuss some top five father's day gifts what are some things that you would actually like to see yeah so this is the list of uh if my kids are listening hint hint wink wink here's what you should get me (laughs) (laughs) oh and yep my my wife will edit this later and uh and certainly will have some ideas that she didn't have some already. I just want to say before we get started, Amy, I'm going to make this up pretty much off the cuff. I am a horrible, I will freely admit this, I am a horrible person to buy for. I uh, really don't, I mean, my hobbies include reading and making this podcast and playing some computer games and video games. And, uh, you know, I never got into any of the big ticket items. I never built my own computers or cars or guns or you know any kind of ridiculous sport thing or whatnot so uh, it can be a little hard to buy from me i wouldn't admit it yeah i don't think i have anything on this list that would probably cost more than about ten dollars either okay well Uh, us as dads are we're, we're simple guys okay then go ahead and give us your number five number five on the list just let me sleep in i am the first one woken up Every single day, typically by a preschooler just like doing somersaults over my head and asking <laughs> what's for breakfast, knowing damn well it's waffles because it's waffles every single day because he likes waffles. So if you could just let me sleep until like 
like eight. I mean, I'm not asking for like crazy. I'm not asking for like 11. Let me sleep until eight. That would be lovely. So number five on my list is let me sleep in. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and jump in and just echo that as my number five as well. Um, and again, th- we are in drastically different circumstances because my wife is the latest sleeper in the world. And, uh, and she's always the first one up. She always hears the kids. Uh, you know, we, the dog's in the mix as well, though she's calmed down a bit and is able to stay in her kind of a little bit longer. So, but I've always been, Andy has known me since high school. I have always been the person that wanted to fall asleep first and to sleep in the latest, and, you know, and there were stretches in college where I would not start my day until one, two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, I would try to squeeze down into uh, KCOM to grab a lunch before uh, they closed <laughs> as my first meal of the day. Uh, I just love to sleep. I, I remember my dreams. I love to dream. I love to sleep. And uh, if I can snag any time whatsoever, I'm going to take it. Yeah, I'm surprised that's not higher on your list. <laughs> uh, all right. Number four for you. Number four. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be specific with this, but a meal that involves red meat and French fries. You can give me a steak and fries. That's cool. I'll take a burger. I'll take like that chopstick thing from Texas Roadhouse. That's, that, that's one of my favorites. So something just red meat and fries. Okay. Not complicated, but I want to eat something. I don't, I don't want there to be a whole lot of vegetables that day. I don't want a salad. I don't want chicken red meat and fries let me feel like a man on father's day (laughs) okay i'm actually like it's not really like it's good for my health but it hasn't really been why i've done it i really just kind of moved away from a lot of red meat i've just eaten been eating so much chicken and i think i prefer it but every so often there's just nothing in the world that can replace like a good steak or whatever so I'm, I'm the same way. I eat a lot more chicken and turkey than I do red meat. And I think it just makes it that much better. Yes. Those days where I do have it. Absolutely. Okay. Number four on my list is going to be Barnes and Noble gift cards. Again, nice. I love to just, I love to just walk around Barnes and Noble. I love to, you know, browse the sci-fi fantasy section um you know i i have you know a whole bookcase behind me filled to the brim of series that i read over and over i'm always looking for something new and it's just one of my favorite places that again i'm not i i'm not a shopper um i especially for for clothes and and again i'm not handy at all so i'm not not a guy who's walking around lowe's or home depot um put me in a bookstore put me in a library uh and i will be uh, beyond happy uh, so that's number four for me i like that you're excited about a physical bookstore because i feel like that's something that's a bit dying you know as giants like amazon take over and over so i like that you're like a you know let me get in there smell the pages physical bookstore kind of guy i think that's i cool. it has to be a physical book like i went through a kindle phase and again i'll read plenty of you know i you know i'll read plenty of news articles and even longer extended you know uh, investigatory pieces or whatnot on my phone but if i'm reading if i'm going to read for more than 10 minutes i need a book that i can hold in my hand uh, i just can't do the kindle can't don't even really like doing the the laptop or the computer uh give me a book give me like a 
a cozy spot the hole up in a little drink and i can spend the whole afternoon easy 100 agree with you on that it, it reading is fun like screens are for things that we have to do like reading an actual paper book is for fun and i agree there's nothing better uh yeah for sure all right number three for you number three so you know you were talking about big ticket sports items so i am a golfer i don't need any gear i got clubs that will probably last me till the end of time just give me the time to golf i just want the time i'll pay for the round just give me the time (laughs) give me four hours unrushed to go play some golf uh i mean again the older we get right it's just finding the time for those things um is always difficult uh and again we, we love our we love our wives we love our children we spend a lot of time with them but sometimes again it's just just you need that me time or maybe some time with the boys uh that leads me into my number three which is the time to go do a nerdy thing and what nice. that's been over the last you know decade or so i've gone to maybe four or so gen cons i take a long weekend uh, I, I drive out to Indianapolis. I meet up with our buddy Nick, and we just play board games for four days in a row, card games, all the nerdiest things, uh, scratch that itch. Usually by the end of it, by by that last day, I'm like, okay, like I scratched the itch. I can put this away for a while, but just the time to just go, to run on, you know, that crazy schedule where I'm going to bed late, I'm waking up late. I'm just doing whatever. Extremely valuable time. April and I are both really big fans of, you know, adults need adult time, whether that's, you know, that includes both us as a couple and us individually. I mean, we were two people that had long stretches where we lived alone. Um, and I really, you know, that's, uh, that was some really uh, useful time for me to both grow and mature as a person and figure out who I was, but also just like, I'm totally fine just kicking it by myself for stretches. Uh, And it's nice to be able to recharge that way every once in a while. Absolutely. All right. Number two for you. Number two on the list. So this is probably the most expensive thing on the list and it's still not expensive. So I will always take another coffee mug. I have a ton of coffee mugs, but I love them all because they all have a story. I don't keep like generic coffee mugs. So everyone that I have is, I'm also not sure I've ever bought one for myself. So they're pretty much all gifts that people have gotten me. So I will take, I will always take a coffee mug, especially if it's like a cheesy dad themed one. And I will take some locally roasted coffee to go with it. Okay. All right. Yeah. And you have a, I think, I mean, it's starting to fade in the senility, but uh, I think one of the things I did for the, the guys in my, in my wedding party was I think everybody got a cup or a mug or something that had a, that had a logo on it. And I think yours was the, I think I was smart enough to get you a blue jackets one at that point. Uh, it is. It's a nice, it's, it's a glass beer mug with the blue jackets logo on it that I have more than one time sipped out of while we're making this podcast. So yes, you did do a great job with that. And I still use it all the time. Yeah. That, uh, that one worked out well. I think uh, Zach got a red wings one maybe and Stan got a Detroit lions one. And yeah, so that was a, that was a decently good idea that I'm sure April came up with and not me, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. All right. Number two for me is it's, it's going to be a future gift. It'll be something that I'd be very happy to hand off one day. 
one of these days I will wait and it'll be a father's day. And I will say, Max, my boy, it's now your responsibility to mow on. <laughs> and that, and that will be his father's day gift to me. The saga of Josh hating yard work continues. I can just already anticipate April's going to be editing this podcast and she's going to hear me say that her blood pressure is going to rise and rise and rise. I don't know. It's just for me, it's just me and the lawn. We just don't get along. It just is what it is. We'll make do the best we can. Uh, but that'll be something that I will be happy to pass on to my son eventually once he's old enough. The boys are going to be coming for you in the group chat, and I'm here for it. So I can't wait till this episode drops because I would say three or four hours after this drops, it's going to be blowing up with you getting dummied on the uh, <laughs> the yard work again. So I'm excited for that. I accept my punishment. <laughs> All right. And number one for you. Yeah, I mean, it, th- this is super cheesy for me, but I'll just take the hugs. I mean... Just, just the love from the kids, and you know they're still little, and I, I feel like I just cherish all those little moments where they come up and you know give you the hug and say you know you're a good dad, appreciate the things you do for me. I'm lucky enough that my preschooler says it pretty much every day. I'm sure at some point that won't be the case, so I will absolutely take every hug, every kiss from him, every you know thanks for the things you do, dad. So. Just the, just the little hugs. I will take those every day. That's number one on the list. That's all I really need. Yes. And of course that is the same for me. My, the, the, the personification or of this is uh, the symbol of this, I should say is what I have been getting for father's day uh, for the last couple of years or so. And I love it dearly. My wife order always orders me a new mouse pen from Shutterfly and it has pictures of all the kids on it. And the one I'm looking at right now that I have on my desk says world's greatest dad. And it has uh, me and all the boys uh, and, and my beautiful wife on it. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, the show is called Buckeye Dads Discuss. We love being fathers. It's the best thing uh, that we have going for us. And it's, it's a wonderful day. I appreciate Father's Day much more than I appreciate my own birthday at this point. So agreed. So yeah, uh, that's a that's a very wholesome way for us to wrap up uh, this episode. Andy, anything else before we start closing it up? No, I don't think so. I think this was a nice a nice way to end. We got Father's Day coming up here in just about a week, so that, that'll be nice. It's the summertime. Kids are done with school, and the weather's getting nice, and we'll be up at the at the family cottage uh swimming and and hanging out and again it's just far enough away where we can kind of unplug a little bit when we go up there on the weekends uh until then i have a a two-year-old birthday party to to clean up for and you know the weather will be nice and we'll have it outside and uh, get to see some people and uh, it should be a good time um so looking forward to summer it always goes by super quick and then we'll be right back to the football season and school grind and then that'll be the end of the year and and then we'll be creeping up on another another birthday and another year so join that 34 club yeah you you thankfully will get to join before i so <laughs> lead the way all right everyone this has been another episode of buckeye dads discuss and we'll talk to you later stay safe ohio Buckeye Dads Discuss is a podcast hosted by Andy and Josh. It's edited by April. 
you can find us on social media at Buckeye Dads on Twitter. And you can email the show at Buckeye Dads Discuss at gmail.com.